Hello, welcome back to a new episode of For the Love of Weather podcast. This is the podcast where we discuss all things weather and how they can impact our daily lives. We hope that you leave this episode and every episode that you listen to loving the weather just a little bit more. Hi, I'm meteorologist Gemma. Hi, I'm meteorologist and weather presenter Ashley, and we're really delighted to welcome you to another podcast of ours and actually we have our first guest that is revisiting us and what an amazing guest she is we are so lucky tonight to be talking again to Dr Ella Gilbert who is just so incredibly busy at the moment because there's been some astonishing information floating around in the press about how much sea ice has been lost from the Antarctic but let me just give you a quick intro in case you don't know who she is she's a climate scientist and presenter with a PhD in Antarctic climate change although so much more than that she was recently awarded the Royal Meteorological Society's Emerging Communicator Award as well for her significant contributions to communicating climate science to broad audiences but Ella everything you do all your little videos and everything they're just amazing and we're just so thrilled that you're actually back talking to us again just turning all of that science into just a language that we can all understand so you're very welcome to the podcast again thanks for talking. I'm very happy to be back very happy so Ella we normally start the episode by asking everybody you know where was your first spark of joy where did that come from where you thought this is what I'm going to do but I'm actually going to change the question this time because we have had you on before you should definitely go back and listen to that episode but how important is it now that you're doing what you're doing how much do you feel like you're doing the right thing right now oh I feel like I have no alternative it feels like an imperative um not just from a kind of moral stance in that like I've got this amazing privilege of having the education I have and to be working in the field that I'm working in um and I feel like I really have this duty to communicate the things that I've learned and the things that I know um but also it just feels like the right time and it feels so urgent it feels like we should all be playing to our strengths to tackle the problem of climate change and environmental change more generally head on and we should all be throwing everything that we can at it to to make that kind of change happen and that my contribution I always think my contribution is being the translator between the science and everybody else which you do so eloquently may I add as well so let's just actually crack on and why we actually have you on again tonight we're so happy that you were talking to us so we can just try and explain a little bit more about what we're seeing so at the time of recording this the winter sea ice in the Antarctic is at a historic low we read that an area the size of Greenland is missing and actually, I think on your little YouTube video, you were saying that it would be like the 10th largest country in the world that's missing. What is going on? What's happening? Why is this lost? Yeah, so there was a lot of different country comparisons floating around. And I realized whilst I was writing an article for the conversation about this exact thing, why everyone had a different country, because I actually originally put Algeria in because it's closest to the size of Algeria, the missing sea ice. But then the editor was like, no one knows how big Algeria is intuitively. So we went with Greenland, bigger than Greenland. And then the Washington Post went with Argentina. And then another paper went with a different country. So I think it was all just kind of relative to what uh, people thought would be most intuitively understood by their audience. Um, regardless of the country you choose, uh, there is an enormous hole 
in the amount of Antarctic sea ice that we would expect for the year. I think it's 15% lower than the previous, uh, the 1991 to 2020 for July. Um, so it's two and, two and a half million square kilometers nearly missing from what we'd expect from the average from the last few decades. And this comes hot on the tails of a record minimum, which was recorded in February. That in and of itself beats the previous year, which was 2022. And in 2022, it was a pretty record year because it was the first time uh, the minimum had gone below 2 million square kilometres. So it's been a few years where we've had quite significant events happening with Antarctic sea ice. Um, We had a record high in 2014. And then ever since 2016, we've seen a real dramatic decline. So Historically, Antarctic sea ice was often trotted out by climate deniers as evidence that climate change wasn't happening because it was either changing very little or in fact increasing slightly from 1979. And as I said, there was that record high in 2014, Uh, but then it, it plunged in 2016 and has never really recovered. So we've had successive low years. Some of them have been a bit higher than others, but 2016, 17, 2022, and now, of course, 2023, breaking all the records uh, in terms of the minimum, but also now in terms of the July average. And it looks very likely that it will be the the lowest maximum as well. So why is that the case? Because I've, I've seen some of the graphs that are going around and they're very stark when you see the lines on them. Do we know why we're losing so much ice and why there's this historic low? I think the one thing you can always say about Antarctic sea ice is that it's really complicated because Antarctica is so huge. I mean, the missing sea ice is the size of the 10th largest country, let alone the sea ice that is there. So it's a huge area and each different section of Antarctica often has different factors at play. It could be winds, it could be ocean currents, it could be air temperatures, for example. And what usually happens in a normal year, quote unquote normal, um, is that you'll have competing trends between different sectors. So for example, in the Weddell Sea, you might have more sea ice than average in one year. In the Ross Sea, you might have less. And then on average, it kind of evens out. But this year, what's quite unique is that we're seeing every sector, bar one, with very much lower sea ice than we are used to seeing. So it's kind of all of the sectors acting together. And I think most of the kind of back of the envelope analysis I've seen is that it's likely to be a combination of factors. Certainly with a minimum um, in February, there was very warm temperatures, particularly around the Antarctic Peninsula. um, And that was probably playing a role. Um, And then once you have a record minimum it's harder for that sea ice to recover if you like and grow further which is part of the reason why we've got a low um july average but then there's also a whole bunch of other factors like ocean warming there's um wind patterns which can push sea ice in different directions and either slow down its formation or break it up storms can break it up etc so i think it's really complicated and there's a whole bunch of different things going on but it's likely that they're all acting together to conspiring together to create this really record record breaking event so just just to like um to say it's winter there, right? So it's, it's you know, we're coming out summer, they're coming out winter. So is there this same kind of uh law of like three months sea or three months lag with the sea surface 
temperature so no you know how normally like it's always uh, nice to go swimming around the UK Isles in October when the sea is at its warmest so is this another reason for the concern that you're like yeah, I don't actually know exactly what that lag would be I mean it would make sense if it's kind of similar certainly it's the freeze up right now and the sea ice should be really rapidly growing and it is growing just nowhere near as fast as we would expect and it will you know reach its maximum very soon um, and then you normally have this enormous amount of, of sea ice coverage. But what's happening at the moment is that we've got so much less than is usual that you're seeing crazy statistics. Like I think lots of people have tried to put a number on how rare this is. And, you know, you're seeing wild numbers like this is a one in a seven and a half million year event. Um, there are lots of assumptions behind those statistics, um, which make it perhaps not such an accurate value but I think it doesn't really matter ultimately what the actual number is it could be seven and a half million years it could be 750 million years it could be set like 750,000 years it doesn't matter it's rare it's really exceptional um, it's something we've never seen in the observational record it's something we have likely not seen in much much longer time periods so this is really dramatic and it's something that we really need to keep an eye on so basically it's so rare and like many historic events in weather and, and climate as well we really don't actually know what's going to happen this is where you're really trusting your climate model data exactly you... and especially in the antarctic when it comes to sea ice models are not very good <laughs> so historically we've seen this very slight increase up until 2015 in sea ice models have never captured that they've uh, clearly got that wrong so there's definitely something missing maybe many things missing from our understanding and the way that they are plugged into models so to trust them is making quite a big leap of faith because we already know they're not capturing what's really happening in the real world now. Um, so models have always predicted that sea ice in the Antarctic will decline, just like we see in the Arctic. The Arctic is in many ways a kind of simpler problem when it comes to sea ice. But the Antarctic, because it's so complicated, there's so much going on, it's very hard to say what's likely to happen. But I think most people would agree that eventually this is the way it's going to go. We're going to see decline of Antarctic sea ice how quickly that happens when that happens that is I think up for debate um I think it's a bit too early to say whether or not this is the beginning of an emerging trend or whether it's a blip in the record um albeit a big one but I think ultimately in the long term this is where it's going to end up You've mentioned the records. How long are the records? And also, how do you even monitor the sea ice extent? How would you go about doing that? So we have 40 years worth of satellite observations. Um, they started in like November 1978, but mostly we just say 1979. Um, and that's pretty good. So we can monitor the extent, uh, which is like the maximum border where the uh, the sea ice reaches and that's something that you can monitor daily um, and beyond that you can use alternatives so you can use proxy data and uh, in fact there's a new reconstruction which basically uses temperature and pressure and does some very clever uh, modeling to recalibrate that into a sensible sea ice estimate um, and that looks pretty good in comparison to the satellite record as well so that goes back to 1905 or so and then beyond that you can use 
much much kind of more qualitative evidence you know ship records and things like this and then beyond that you're relying on a variety of other kind of records i think one of one of my favorite ones that i've learned about this week is that you can use bird vomit to reconstruct sea ice <laughs> so this is uh this is a fact stolen from my colleague caitlin um you can because birds apparently like vomit in self-defense and the deposits that they make which is uh probably the most euphemistic way i've ever <laughs> said vomit um you can use it to like infer where the edge of the, the sea ice is which is wild <laughs> I don't, i'm like what really can we get her on the podcast that's so interesting <laughs> <laughs> yeah you should, you should she actually did a great twitter thread about it so <laughs> uh, i'm definitely gonna look that up i mean but you know i guess it makes total sense so we can extract dna from finds you know old burial grounds and everything you know egypt and all that so it makes absolute sense so they have an idea of what their diet was that completely makes sense and that's and actually brings me on to a question like for you now going forward so you started this work with the phd a while ago now and is this really going to change something for you as to what your work is going forward uh i think i see it all as kind of part of the same thing really like my PhD was on ice shelves and understanding what's making ice shelves melt um right now I'm kind of doing more broadly the climate of the Arctic and the Antarctic in the present but also going to be going to out, out into the future using models um the sea ice stuff is uh not actually something that I research on but something that is obviously so important and a really crucial part of the the overall climate picture that we inevitably end up uh, considering in all of my all of our work so something that's definitely present if you like um and I think yeah I think all of this you know whether it's the the wildfires or the floods or the Antarctic sea ice records being broken or heat waves or the marine heat waves or record SSTs or you know I could name so many different things just from last month and they're all this kind of demonstration of how quickly our climate is changing and how it's taking us all by surprise and how human activity is really reshaping the world that we live on and all of it is just many facets of the same problem so I guess in a, a grandiose sense it doesn't really change anything because the same sort of big picture uh, direction applies but it's just sort of different angles of the same story really. It's interesting as well you just you know Obviously, you did all of this because there's an interest and a passion there in the first place. And you mentioned just about it seems a little shocking to everyone, but it's not really, though, is it? No, I mean, scientists have been saying this for decades. Jim Hansen testified in front of Congress in the mid 80s. And, you know, scientists funded by ExxonMobil reported about climate change. And the science of the greenhouse effect is centuries old. Mm. You know, all of this has been well known for many many years and scientists have been ringing alarm bells with increasing volume for decades so it's, it shouldn't take anyone by surprise I think what is surprising is the rate at which it's happening I think now in the last even just 10 years it seems like things are happening that are affecting people's lives uh, not just in some faraway place in some faraway undisclosed time climate change used to feel very abstract I think now 
you just have to look at the headlines to feel the very real effects of climate change impacting your life, impacting your neighbor's life, impacting your dog's life, <laughs> like any anyone and any part of your life that you can think of will be affected in some way. And I think that's starting to sort of sink in with lots of people. Um, and that is a good thing because it means that people take it seriously and may may kind of wake up and want to take more action. But obviously, I'd much rather it hadn't got to this point. So you've mentioned some of the extreme weather that we've experienced recently. But if we just focus on sort of the sea ice, what consequences does that loss of sea ice that we've seen? What would that what would those consequences be on such things as sort of sea level or how might that actually impact the weather around the world? Would that have an impact? Yeah, for sure. I mean, so sea ice is already floating, so it displaces its own weight in water, which means that it doesn't add to sea levels directly if it melts. Just like, you know, if you have ice cubes in your glass of water, it doesn't overflow when they melt. So sea ice itself, not having less of it or having more of it doesn't impact sea level. But what sea ice does, which is a really important role that it plays in the kind of Antarctic environment is that it buffers, it sticks around the edge of the ice sheet. Um, and the sea ice melange, uh, which is all the little uh, broken up bits and bits of sea uh, icebergs that break off in, into the ocean and stuff, they all kind of like smush together, basically. And they protect the ice sheet itself from the smashy smashy action from the waves so it basically means that the edge of the ice sheet so glaciers and ice shelves are protected from the destructive action of the ocean and therefore they stay there and it means that you don't get so much ice entering the ocean which does contribute to sea level rise so you have a protective layer of sea ice if you like that means that the ice stays on land and doesn't enter the ocean so in that sense sea ice is really important when you have less sea ice and you have more open water that's a source of moisture basically so you have more moisture entering the atmosphere you have more cloud formation you have more precipitation um but it can work both ways so in a warmer atmosphere we know that the atmosphere can hold on to more water vapor so you get more snowfall we expect as the climate continues to warm there to be more snowfall in antarctica which is working in the opposite direction to kind of the melting so that's a negative feedback if you like so uh, not reinforcing feedback so you get more snow adds to the ice sheet which is a good thing if we're worried about sea level rise um but then you can also uh, have open water and that can also be a source of heat so it's it's a complex picture where you can get more snow more moisture but also you can get more heating and that can drive local weather patterns local weather effects that can influence both the sea ice and the ice sheet Sea ice is also a very important component of how the ocean circulation works, especially in the Southern Ocean, which is super cold and is like one of the engines of global ocean circulation because it's so cold um, and dense and it can kind of, um, it sinks right down to the bottom of the ocean. And that's one of the most important parts of this big conveyor belt system of heat transport around the world. Um, so less sea ice, that can influence that. Uh, basically, it can have a lot of different effects, and that's not even before we before we even get into things like uh, the impact on uh, the albedo, so the reflectivity of the Antarctic as a whole, and that can have a profound effect on the local temperatures, the local climate, and then that has knock-on impacts for the rest of the world. So what happens in the Antarctic doesn't always stay in the Antarctic. Uh, 
<laughs> and it can have weather implications, it can have climate implications. Uh, and of course, if you're a penguin or a seal or a whale or a bird or a seagull that's going to be yakking, <laughs> then, <laughs> then you're going to care about sea ice as well. So it's the, the impacts range from the very local, hyper local to the regional to the global. You mentioned actually there just about the uh, the ocean circulation. Gosh, I don't even know. It feels like when I first started, but there was more of a focus on um, ocean atmospheric couples, uh, weather models, you know, this, this climate models. But can you just give us a little um, summary, let's say, of why that deep ocean water is so important yeah so deep ocean water formation both in the southern ocean but also in the north atlantic both of these regions are super crucial because they're very cold and cold water can absorb things much more readily so for example co2 can dissolve very easily into colder water or relatively easier than into warm water so it sucks up co2 it sucks up other greenhouse gases and it sinks and locks it away for very many years so hundreds potentially longer years um, and it also absorbs heat same deal and all of this uh, is a really crucial part of the way that our oceans circulate globally and the oceans do a huge service for us they suck up 90 percent of the extra heat produced by human beings suck up that quarter of the co2 produced by human beings and they store them and they basically mean that the climate change and the temperature change that we feel on the surface of the land is much reduced in comparison to what it would be if the oceans weren't doing that. So we would have a lot more extra heat in the atmosphere if the oceans weren't taking it up. Uh, so this has a really profound impact on, on the sort of extremes that we're seeing because it has these knock-on impacts. If we have less heat in the atmosphere, we're likely to see fewer extreme events or less severe extreme events. So all of these little parts of the climate system are really interconnected and there's still so much more we're uncovering. And you mentioned these like coupled ocean atmosphere models and they're still really useful tools. But again, there's uh, there's so much more to learn. Like our climate models aren't capable of capturing trends in Antarctic sea ice, but there's a lot of other things they are also struggling with too. But, you know, they're improving immensely with every generation and they're still incredibly useful to understand our world to understand parts of the planet that we can't get to like the southern ocean for example that's very harsh and you wouldn't necessarily want to be uh going out on a ship in the drake passage collecting data very frequently <laughs> you might end up like a seagull uh, and um yeah it's it's really important to be able to have these sorts of tools at our disposal to monitor the planet predict and, and predict the future but also understand what's going on right now there was rainfall that was reported and recorded in greenland is that something that could happen in antarctica is that something that people are worried about that we might actually not just see snow there but we could see rain falling An there excellent as well. question i'm actually working on a paper on this exact topic right now um so the tldr you heard it here first is um that we see rainfall happening during extreme precipitation events in the West Antarctic. So the West Antarctic, both in the summer and the winter as well. So this is pretty novel 
as a finding because Antarctica we've never really thought about rain you just assume it's all snow apart from the very far north of the peninsula which is the sub-Antarctic basically um there are no rain gauges pretty much anywhere on the Antarctic because why would you bother if you assume everything's snow um but from my work with some models not just one multiple models and some satellite work and some automatic weather stations it seems like um these extreme precipitation events which are associated with atmospheric rivers which you may also have come across these like long filaments or like trains of that kind of funnel moisture um in the atmosphere like a river in the sky uh these are associated with a lot of the snowfall but also some rainfall that falls in the West Antarctic particularly in the Amundsen Sea Embayment which contains two extremely important glaciers one called Pine Island Glacier the other called Thwaites. Uh, Thwaites is so-called uh, the Doomsday Glacier uh, because both of them are losing huge amounts of ice and they're chucking out vast vast quantities of of ice into the ocean and contribute i think together they contribute something wild like five percent of sea level rise just those two glaciers and they're tiny in comparison to the rest of the planet so these are a really crucial place to be studying and it looks like there is some kind of influence of weather patterns and extreme weather particularly um on these very important glaciers in the region and we know that Greenland is starting to see more rainfall. Uh, what was most significant about, it made headlines in 2021 because rainfall was witnessed, as Jason Box puts it, um, at the very top of Greenland. So the summit, which is the coldest, highest part, which you would just not expect. Um, I don't think Antarctica is quite there yet. So this rainfall is very much around the periphery. It's very much at the lowest elevation and it's also most pronounced in summer as you would expect but even so the fact that we're likely seeing rain there is kind of wild it sort of challenges our everything that we know about or everything that we assume about that part of the world because you know you, you think of west antarctica as being minus 20 even in the summer <laughs> That's kind of what I assume anyway. Um, so it's kind of wild to, to think that this is actually going on. Yeah, when I asked that question, I thought it's going to be like, you'd say, oh, yeah, like in like, like 10 years, we might see rain or five years. I mean, we know how things fast things are changing. But I wasn't really expecting you to say, yeah, that's happening now. We're seeing people. The cases that we're looking at are in 2020. But again, the caveat is that there's no rain gauges. So we don't actually know on the ground whether this is happening. But there is a snow sensor and you can do some modeling and you can look at satellites and kind of cross compare it's it's not ideal because we don't have that much data in the antarctic if we had i've been i was at a conference this summer where i was just like angling for more and more precipitation sensors and to put in rain gauges but it's just very difficult to get them down there it's difficult to get the funding it's difficult to get people there and even if you can get people in the region Sometimes you don't know whether you're going to be able to put a rain gauge in the right place because there might be crevasses and it's just too dangerous to put stuff there. And then even if you put it there, it might disappear down a hole in the next year. So <laughs> it's all uh, extra layers of complexity when it comes to taking measurements in Antarctica. A bit like a mission to Mars, really, isn't it? It's still actually probably it's more predictable to land on Mars because the atmosphere is so thin. It seems just such a complex organism 
down there. Yeah, and constantly changing. And if you ever need anyone to go down there and help with observations or putting rain gauges in, you can give me a call. My dream, so to to Antar- <laughs> My dream is to go to Antarctica. So anytime you need a meteorologist, just ring me up. I'm here. I'm, I'm always <laughs> always up for it as well like I'm always trying to twist people's arms like you know you know you need someone to like come and dig holes for you in the snow right yeah <laughs> yeah any, any, any opportunity and I'm there I'm like yes I'm there I'm I'm coming I'll make the tea <laughs> exactly. I make a really good cup of tea I'm an award-winning tea maker I must, might just say that so. <laughs> got a great team right here <laughs> she's also a great pal someone you would not run out of conversation with if you got stuck in a snowstorm so you'd be all right or a rainstorm <laughs> too soon too early too soon <laughs> yeah too soon um, we won't keep you on too much longer I know that you've got a really busy evening because this has been a lovely little snap episode of actually some really fantastic points as always I really genuinely mean it. I absolutely love listening to how you talk about stuff it just makes everything so digestible and we're always saying as well like you know we know a lot about a little part of something there's so much we don't know about climate science like and, and that's like that's the broad umbrella let alone the one on the antarctic so we're for always ever grateful for you putting it into those lovely well just bits that you can pass on hopefully pass on to somebody else as well you know bits yeah and there. inspire and engage and yeah. get people enthusiastic about it because you know you need everyone's different perspectives on the yeah. problem to be able to solve it properly because kind of too much of the same thing no well not now just it's just not I'm actually and I also with the El Nino forming this year I mean who knows what's in store for the next the next few years slightly yeah. worrying um but we shall try and end on a slightly more positive note uh Gemma do you want to just do a very quick get to know me Ryan I know we've done one already with you but we want to see how things might have changed so maybe maybe three questions or just something fun like that well I actually thought about this because I thought We've already done this with Ella, so I can't ask the same questions as before. So I went through and picked some of the questions that I don't think we've asked you before. I'm pretty sure I haven't asked you. So we'll start with, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Power of absolute persuasion. (sighs) That is a great answer. Note to yourself, stick that in your brain somewhere. Power of absolute persuasion, that's it. That's Actually, that's it. It's the best superpower. Never mind flying. That would be cool too. Close second. <laughs> if you had to choose, would you prefer to go to the beach or the mountains? Mountains. I totally agree with that. <laughs> What's your favourite country that you've visited? Antarctica, but that's not really a country, it's a continent. Um, yeah, Antarctica has to be. And then if you had to choose an animal to represent you, what would it be? A raccoon. Sneaky. El Bandito. <laughs> with, with the power of persuasion. <laughs> I love it. And then the final question is one thing that you wish everybody knew about Antarctica. That's hard. Um, one thing I wish everybody knew about Antarctica. It's amazing and it's so important for all of our lives. Like what happens there isn't cut off from us. It impacts so much that we hold dear and that we take for granted in our everyday and it's such a vital part of our whole planet and something that's really worth protecting you're here to that yeah totally agree 
Ella, thank you so much for joining us again tonight on this podcast. We really appreciate it. And yet again, have just learned so much and absolutely love how you communicate the science that you do. And if people want to follow you, they don't have to look very far because you're on all social media channels and you're popping up on every radio station and program I see these days. But um, can you tell people where we can find you? Yeah, hogging the airwaves. Um, but on most uh, social platforms, I am Dr. Underscore Gilbs with a Z. Uh, or I also have a website, ellagilbert.co.uk. Which you should definitely check out and check out her videos as well. They're just absolutely fantastic. Just really munching everything down into just lovely clear science and I love it so thank you so much for joining us thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure again if you've enjoyed this episode we would love it if you would subscribe rate and review and share the podcast with anyone that you think that might want to have a little listen you can follow us on instagram where we are for the love of weather on twitter we are the number four love of weather and we just hope that you leave this episode loving the weather just that little bit more thanks for listening bye Thank you.